You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, I'm joined by a very special guest. He's one of the most recognised Arsenal YouTubers on the scene. He's got a fantastic channel. He's a brilliant journalist as well, also currently working at Football.London. Welcome back to the programme, Tom Canton. How are you, sir? Well, as intros go, that was pretty darn good. <laughs> I'll take that all day long. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. And before we start kind of having a bit of a therapy session about mm. what we saw last night, I uh, just wanted to say congratulations on your award at the FCA's, mate. Fully oh, deserved. Thanks, mate. Thanks, and uh, mate. I hope you had a good night. It was it was strange. I've never been in such a posh place before. Um, but yeah, no, it was a really good evening. I mean, I was to be honest, I was more happy for for Mike on the Gunners Pod winning the Gunners versus Cancer uh, on the on the charitable charitable award. That was amazing. Because the look on his face when you see the video, which I'm sure he'll put up <laughs> when he wins it, is insane. So yeah, that that was the the highlight for sure. Yeah, that's a, a fantastic achievement from Mike, and and we've all been kind of involved in the. Um, you know, even just a small part in the uh, mm, promoting in the it. kind of promotion of it, and and mm. we went on the twenty four hour stream, which he did was which was incredible. So brilliant to hear that, um, and also congratulations to the Arsenal Vision podcast as well for mm. winning the best podcast because they are definitely um, one yeah, of. If Elliot not loves his champagne, that's for sure. <laughs> when he won that, he was like, "Anyone champagne? Champagne? Anyone?" And he's like, "We finished. We finished it, Elliot." It was like, "No, I'll, I'll go get another one. Champagne, anyone?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, fantastic uh, work from them as well because that is, if not the best, definitely one of my top two Arsenal podcasts out there. So, um, got to give them a got to give them a lot of credit for that and and the great work that they do on a regular basis. Mm. So at least Arsenal are winning in something because we're not winning in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, Tom, we looked as though we might have turned the corner I th- when we won those three games consecutively. I think a lot of us looked at the performances and said, well, they're not ideal and they're not perfect, but when you get the result, who really cares? And since then, we've seen a couple of performances that haven't been up to the standard. The game at Brighton was poor, I thought, in terms of the way we played. I thought we were fortunate to come away with anything from that one. And we were very fortunate in the end to come away with something last night as well. I've titled this episode of the podcast, Will Arteta Ever Get It Right? Because I am somebody who's backed him quite a bit. I'm somebody who said that this is going to be a long-term thing, that it's going to take time for Arsenal to get to the level that they need to be at to be competing for the Champions League positions again. But there are games that seem to be coming along more and more frequently where I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm not sure if this is ever going to turn around or we're ever going to get the level of consistency needed to achieve our objectives. First of all, before we dive into some of the kind of separate discussion points about the game where are you in terms of this Arteta thing and did last night make any difference in terms of your stance 
no, it, it made no difference because my stance has been unchanged since Villarreal. Um, that was when my mind shifted. That's when I was like, okay, I think a change of coach would be the best move for the club right now. And so I've been waiting for this season to, to turn me in the other direction and put me back on that Arteta train. And as I've been saying on, on TGT for a while, is about I want I want it to succeed. I'm desperate to see Arteta succeed. I really want it to work. But it's just not. And I mean, if you look at the last five games, I'm obviously unbeaten now for five games against Norwich, Burnley, Spurs, uh, Brighton, and then Crystal Palace. The only real performance, and it was only one half of the game, was against Spurs. In, in that first half of that game, we went 3-0 up. That's the only time I could genuinely say, oh, that, that was exciting and I was on board with it. And I didn't feel like, I didn't feel threatened as a side. And we dominated it against Norwich. We created a lot of chances, but not any massive, really clear goal scoring chances. And we were fortunate to get the goal that we did. Against Burnley, we obviously had to rely on an, an unlikely free kick, a brilliant free kick from Martin Erdegaard. But beyond that, again, didn't really create all that much. Against Spurs, we blitzed a side that were awful in the first half with those three goals, but we did play really well in that first half. Against Brighton, they, they bossed us. Brighton absolutely bossed us in that game. Their press from Graham Potter's tactics was spot on. We were unable to get out from the back and Arteta didn't react at all during the game, didn't change anything, didn't try and combat it in any way by matching up their three at the back. And then last night was, again, I was fine with the formation. It was is what I kind of was interested to see us go back to that 4-3-3. I thought it would give us more going forwards, but the style's just not not the, the the successful style's just not there it's it's one dimensional it's all about using the wide areas and if you stop that which palace did for much of the game then you've stopped arsenal basically and there's no plan b yeah it very much feels like that doesn't it we talked a lot about the over reliance on for example kieran tierney mm. as being a real attacking outlet down that left hand side and last night there was a hesitance on kieran tierney's part at times to when he did get in those positions to take on his man to make that run beyond his his player and that's partly down to the way crystal palace defended and credit where credit's due they were very very good but you do fear for what happens when that game plan is stifled and, and crystal palace stifled us and we had no alternatives i was of a different view though tom with regards to the formation i said on my preview show that i didn't mm. want to see the 4-3-3 and i didn't want to see martin odegaard playing in that slightly deeper position because i felt given what crystal palace have in midfield you know milovajevic very solid central mm. defensive midfield player macarthur puts himself about probably should have been sent off definitely probably should have been sent off um you know, and then, of course, Conor Gallagher, who's been a, a real bright spark for Crystal Palace this season. I felt like we were always going to get overrun in that area. And when halftime came and Mikel made that change and brought Laconga on, I thought mm. there was a part of me that was standing there in the stadium going, I'm glad you've seen that. And I'm glad that you've recognised that we are not mm. winning that part of the pitch. Is this a sign that your in-game management is improving? Yeah. Only for Laconga to come on and, and make a horrible mistake um, in the lead up to Palace's second goal. But for you, what was wrong with Arsenal in that midfield area last night? Because pretty clear that's one of the areas in which we, we lost control of the game. Why didn't it work with Odegaard? Why didn't it really work with Laconga either? How do you kind of assess that situation? It's interesting because whilst I said I was interested to see how the 4-3-3 work, I was like you in my preview show. I said go 4-2-3-1. I think Lukonga's going to need time. We're without Xhaka for upwards of three months. And so put more investment in, in 
Lukonga and Partey and allow them more time to play together. So when we switched at halftime in our in our chat in football.london with the, 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 the journalists that were covering the, the game along with myself at the time, we, we were all in our chat agreeing, saying, yeah, that's a good that's a good move. We're getting back control of the midfield because we were losing it at the end of that first half or we're losing it for the last 25 minutes of the first half. And so we all agreed that it was a good move and that it was the right move forwards. But both Lukonga and Partey, kind of, their performances bled on from their displays against Brighton. It was timid. It was immature at times. And I, I've kind of looked at Partey and I've gone, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that he's still not transitioned to the Premier League. I know he's suffered injuries. He's a very good player, Partey, and I was desperate for us to sign him. But in La Liga you get a lot more time on the ball. You get so much more time to, to get your head up, make a turn, make a decision to either pass it or shoot or whatever you want to do. And he hasn't yet seemed to quite grasp that you don't get that same luxury in the Premier League. Players are on you in seconds. And that's exactly, of course, what led to the mistake that, that got them their first goal. And he just seems that little bit, not I don't want to say lazy, because I think it's lazy. It's just a little bit unaware of of the speed of the oppositions he's up against in the Premier League at times. I think his, his passing is can be a cut above everyone else, and his vision to find certain players in certain positions at times is above everyone else. It's just that consistent level and that transition to the Premier League for Partey that's not taken place. But yeah, the midfield is something where you, you struggle to point the finger at Arteta for that specific thing, because... That for me is very much on the players. Like you've set up three midfields, uh, you've gone for the the, the four two three one, you've gone for the four three three, and at times you've gone for kind of a four one four one formation as well, and it can work and has worked, but I'm just not sure he's Lukonga is ready, and I'm not sure that Partey without Xhaka is yet accustomed enough to playing in the Premier League on his own, especially as a number six. I was going to mention he who shall not be named, but you, you did it <laughs> yeah. for me. What yeah. would you say to people like me who who do think that he is a massive miss and a massive absence? Because, you know, there were people almost celebrating the fact that he was going to be out for three months, which I thought mm. was, was ridiculous. Mm. The, the bottom line is that Arsenal didn't do enough in that area of the park during the summer. You know, I was beating that drum throughout the, the summer. I felt as though we could have done more to prevent a situation like this occurring. And now we're in that place where we're, we're without Xhaka for three months. Partey, as you say, is being tasked at times with holding the midfield solely on his own. And, and, and that is difficult at the best of times, let alone in the Premier League with a not very strong side around you. Um, how do we move forward now? What's the solution to that midfield issue moving forward? Because do we keep chopping and changing it until we find the right balance? Do we have to give one particular... Uh, you know, partnership a bit more time and, and see how it develops. It just feels like we don't have much time to turn that form around and, and to start picking up wins more frequently without losing touch of, of the, the top six. The bottom line is, Harry, is that we failed the summer window um, with, with this because I think a lot of us, not I'd say 99% of Arsenal fans, went into that summer window and they went, the one position that we definitely, definitely need to upgrade in besides right back is central midfield. The central midfield had to be tackled. And we were linked with players. We were linked with Basuma and Gimaraish and looking at players like Ruben Neves at times. And we just, and obviously we we pushed supposedly quite hard for Manuel Locatelli for Sassuolo, who then went to Juventus, as you, as you very much know. We were clearly were in for a midfielder. But then when the Xhaka move to Roma broke down, it seemed that all of those links diminished. And Arsenal's interest in bringing in a player in that position definitely did diminish. 
However, that was the issue is that as soon as Xhaka goes, or if, say, Xhaka had gone and a new player had come in, if they had got injured instead of Xhaka, we would be in this same situation, which is that we have Partey, who I think we all recognise doesn't can't play as a lone number six in a 4-3-3 and needs to play alongside someone. And that partner needs to be competent. Partey is, is not someone who's a babysitter. He's not someone that can be that idolizing figure for someone next to him. I don't think he can be for Lukonga. I think Lukonga was brought in because of Partey's issues for his injuries. I don't think Lukonga was brought in to be Partey's long-term partner, to be honest. I think he was brought in as being kind of a long-term replacement in the end for Partey. And Granite Xhaka or whoever we were trying to sign instead of Granite Xhaka, be that a Locatelli or be that a Neves or whoever we were going to be linked to to bring in, they would have been the, the partner for this season for Thomas Partey. And what I get really irritated about with Granite Xhaka, and I don't think it should be, like you said, Harry, about he should he who should not be named. And I know it feels like that sometimes because whenever you step above the parapet to say a good thing about Granite Xhaka, immediately you get that, that flick of the, the, the fan base just want to go for you and say, he's not good enough. He's made mistakes time after time after time. Red card, error leading to go. And they're right. He has done those things. But that doesn't mean that you ignore all of the positive things, all of the game-changing things, all of the characteristics that he was hugely in, in, integral to that Spurs win in the North London derby with his performances and all the positives that he brought to that display and how he raises up Partey's game and how Partey raises up his game as well. And they're a really good dynamic when they're together. It's You don't have to feel embarrassed by complimenting Xhaka because he's got a lot of good things and I also think sometimes that people think if you see someone praising Granite Xhaka that's construed as you thinking he's good enough or that's what we should be aiming for when it's not Granite Xhaka should be applauded for what he's good at criticized for what he's bad at but he should be understood for knowing that right now he's probably Arsenal's second best midfielder behind Partey obviously not looking at Partey's form right now but I mean he was our best midfielder last season Xhaka without a doubt and we needed to sign someone better so the fact that he stayed and we don't have him to turn around and say that we aren't gaining anything from not having him there is probably a little bit agenda driven more than anything else yeah it absolutely is it absolutely is and it's a shame that we're at that point with Granit Xhaka, but I, I agree with you. You know, it's not about, you know, when you praise him or when you suggest that we're better off with that, with him in the side, it doesn't mean that you think he's the best player in the world. No. It means that you think of the options that are currently available to Mikel Arteta. He is one of the strongest and he absolutely is. Even if it's just for the positional discipline that he gives you. You know, some of the, the some of those goals that, or the two goals that we conceded yesterday, um, you know, they're because we got caught in possession in the midfield and we didn't have an, we were too slow, but we also didn't have an idea of where to progress the ball. Mm. Um, you know, we did the the breakdown show a little bit earlier on. In fact, I've got uh, the screenshots here. We, we can, we can bring them up again. When you look at Lakonga here, when he picks up the ball in this position, what so option far. has he got? You know, Ben mm. White is on the move. His body's at the wrong angle. It's going to take him time to set himself, which probably makes Lukonga feel a little bit reluctant. There's a, a feeling among the crowd that we need a goal at this point. Lukonga doesn't want to play the ball backwards. And because at that point in the game, Tom, last night, there was a period where Arsenal were playing the ball up to a certain point and then having to turn back constantly. And the crowd were getting on their backs. You could feel it. You could feel the frustration in and amongst those within the stadium. So Lukonga here is probably thinking, well, I can't play this back. 
Ben White's not not settled anyway in a position. And he tries to he tries to overcomplicate it and he gets dispossessed. And then when you look at the parte one as well, um, look, he receives the ball here, but you look at the options available to him. The Conga's not in a great position. Ben White is in a position where he can be easily pressed. You know, I'd, I'd say that was probably the right option, going back to Ben White and let him pick yeah. out the goalkeeper. But there's not much going on. And and that lack of movement and that lack of kind of fluidity to our game has, has been a constant under Mikel Arteta, hasn't it? Yeah. Why is it, though? What, what's wrong? Are they overcoached? Are the players not, not fit enough to sustain a level... For ninety minutes, what, in your opinion, is is the issue here? It, obviously, it's imp- without being in the training ground, it's impossible to say if they're being overcoached or undercoached. All we can go off is what we're seeing on the pitch in the ninety minutes. And for me, the amount of time that we've had Mikel Arteta now in the side, the fact that we are unable, in my mind, to see a definitive style that has more uh, kind of as a multifaceted approach rather than just using the wide areas to to ping balls into the box as much as possible. That is, is the crux of our problem, is that I can't tell you definitively what Arteta's style is as a coach besides he loves to put the ball into the wide areas and chuck it into the box That's and, and defend deep. That's the only things that I can look at of him. And if you want to, if, if the retort to that is to say, well, that is his style, well, then that's not good enough. Like that's, that's not what we want to see. We want to see a free-flowing, dominant possession side that can break teams down, that's patient, but doesn't just rely on chucking the ball into the box to create the only chances when the defence is playing deep. It's about when you need to break teams down, you need to take that Guardiola approach of stretching teams, switching the ball really quickly, going back back and forth like we used to do under Arsene Wenger at times. I remember when we dominate games, we might be 1-1 or 2-2 in the final minutes because of defensive errors because of the players that we signed during the end of the Wenger who weren't good enough. But the Wenger style was still there at times. It was the recruitment that let us down so much. And we'd work it around the box and eventually we would break through or we wouldn't and we'd just go on to the next game. But we wouldn't play like we are playing now. We wouldn't be just chucking the ball in and we got so lucky last night with that Lacazette equalizer as well like and that that just that does come from an Arteta system I mean even the first goal it's it's a case of having a pop shot from an, a low xg angle and it going out to a Bamiang that's that's not a good goal to score I saw a lot of people tweeting saying great goal like good to get an early lead and I agree on the sense of yes it's good to get an early lead but that's not a goal that I look at and go, yes, I can see exactly what we were trying to do tactically to get that opening goal. It was a pot shot from Pepe in a low XG position that just dropped to Aubameyang in a very fortuitous position. And then the goal that we scored at the end was just pinging the ball into the box, as we always do, a little pinball in the box and it fall into Lacazette. And if you look at the goals that we've scored this season, besides that Spurs game, it's it's again, it's, it's very similar. It's, it's fortunate goals like the Norwich game, like the Burnley free kick. We didn't score, obviously, against Brighton. And then that's it, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it's just it's the North London derby besides that, where we had some good bits of play. But it's it's really quite poor. And I I, I, I am lacking in hope now that, that these things are going to get better and that we're not. Because what I tweeted out this morning is five games unbeaten, 45 minutes of, of real football I can get behind. That's not sustainable across a season. Five, five unbeaten games, three of those being wins that's not going to happen in the next five games if we're playing like we did against those games. Just It just it just isn't going to work out that way. Yeah, and I'm starting to worry about that as well and I'm starting to fear it. And, you know, you, you looked at the Tottenham game the first half, as you mentioned, and, and there was a lot of positives to take away from that. And what was the biggest positive from that for me was 
that the nature of the goals was the type of goals that I believe to be what Mikel Arteta is looking for in terms of the way we mm. built up from the back and the way we broke forward, the way we're winning the ball high up the pitch, etc. But as you say, it's not sustainable because we're not doing it often enough. And yes, we might get the odd little kind of snippet of what it is that we're trying to do. But then what happens when teams don't press you at the back? And one of the things I thought that Vieira and Palace did very, very well yesterday was they regulated their press. They they pressed up to a certain point, mm. but they were quite happy to allow our back four to have the ball at certain points without pressing, knowing that that's what we wanted them to do. We wanted to suck them in and they weren't buying it. They were sitting behind the ball at certain points and saying, no, we're not going to come up and leave those spaces for you to expose. You need to come and break us down. And everybody knows watching this Arsenal side at the minute that we're just not capable of doing that. I bang on a lot, Tom, about how... Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, I bang on a lot about how I really like Saka. I really like Smith-Rowe. I think they're fantastic players and I think they'll go on to be very, very good players. But, and there is a but, I don't think that you can guarantee me that every week they're going to perform and produce the outputs required for Arsenal to say, there are two wingers and we're going to play them every single week. People criticise Nicolas Pepe a lot, but he does make things happen. There will be a contribution in the game from Nicolas Pepe more often than not, whether that's an assist or, or you know, creating a big chance. I love Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, but I think it's wrong and it's naive from, from Mikel Arteta to say that these two guys are definitely at the level we need them to be mm. at this point in their careers and can be relied upon. Are you in agreement or, or do you think I'm I'm being harsh on them? How do you see it? No, no. At the end of the day, they're 21 and 20 and we're looking at them to be the, the catalysts for our season and the cruxes of this side. And that's not fair. Like you can't, what, what successful team in the world right now that's, that's going for a title is relying on a 20 or a 21 year old. I mean, I'll say successful. What team pushing for the top four is relying on a 20 and 21-year-old to be the difference makers for them? The answer is that unless you can come up with a, a couple, and I'm sure that there'll be people in the chat box to think of one immediately, um, but it's 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 an anomaly. Like it's, it's not consistent. And teams are looking towards players to push them to their targets that are not in that age bracket. You look at the rise of, of Everton, how good they're doing this season. They're doing it through experienced players. Like you look at Townsend, who's come in, came in and done really well. The season prior, they brought in Decore, Alan, uh, they brought James Rodriguez, experienced figures, especially those that have already got Premier League experience. West Ham have brought in the likes of Socek and Sofal, who have come in from the Czech League. But again, they're experienced international players that have been difference makers for them. And it's this that we haven't really quite grasped. Is not necessarily that we haven't grasped. We've obviously, I think, we've needed to lower the age. Uh, of the team overall because we were getting so many just dead older players in this group like your Williams, etc in the group and we needed to lower that age bracket but the problem is with this season is we'd lacked that key experience signing that marquee figure that was going to be transformative we had it last summer with Partey but he was missing for so much of the season we never really got the benefit of having him in that first year and we've added Gabriel in that season too and you've added Ramsdale, Ben White, uh, Tomiyasu, Erdogan, Tavares and Lokonga. 
all very young, the older players aren't performing. And so Saka and Smith-Rowe, to go back to the question, are being expected to be the difference makers for this side. And that's not fair on them. And also, not only that, but Saka's not even being played in his best position. You shift him over to the left-hand side, it's just simply not his best role. You look at how he plays there for England. You look at how good he was in the North London derby on the right wing. It's where he needs to play. And to, to um, we might come on to Pepe, but to, to play someone who's as inconsistent as Pepe over Saka and to push that square pig into a, I won't say completely round hole, but certainly not a square hole um, on the left-hand side, is I think it really does restrict his output. But you've also got to think about who he's playing with. You've got Erdogan, who's 22, playing at the number 10. If you do play him at number 10, which often we, we aren't playing him in a natural number 10 role, and then Abamyang, who is so out of form uh, up top to be the guy that they're feeding and delivering the ball to, that it's, you're almost setting them up to fail. Uh, and that's a big, big problem for us, especially when the system that you're deploying isn't even working or isn't working for them specifically anyway. Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of that. In in defence of Abamyang, I think at least he's putting the work in. He did last night anyway, yeah. which is something yeah, that yeah. we would have accused him previously of maybe not doing you mentioned Odegaard there what have you made of of him because he started the season I thought quite well or, or the first couple of games he played I thought you know we thought you know the North London derby included he was brilliant he helped set the tempo for the press and was very very good I think he had a stinker at Brighton and I don't think he was very good last night are you concerned about that or is it a case of he is also a 22 year old and we need to be realistic it's a it's a mixture. I I am disappointed with him in the last two games. I think he's been invisible because I think if you look at the Norwich game, the Burnley game, and the Spurs game, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was our standout player in in arguably all three of those games. Um, in the North London derby, it's, it's hard to look past the co- the goal contributions of Abamyang Saka and, and Smith Rowe. But I think Odegaard went under the radar in the North London derby for his just the pure pressing of the guy that he had in those three games. He was an, he was inspiring those other players to push up with him, and his passing goes under the radar as well and how influential his passing can be but against Brighton and against Crystal Palace genuinely you wouldn't even know he was on the pitch in those games and I, I don't know what's flicked for him I don't know if that's the mentality of a, of a young player being affected by just just that things aren't really going Arsenal's way at the moment but that that was that was a concern however you said it he's 22 like he's far from the finished article he's come from Real Madrid with all of the expectation when he was signed at 16 to be this massive player. And I have the faith that if if given the right guidance, he can become a top class, maybe who knows, a world-class player in the future. But he's not being used for me in the right way and we're not looking to get the best from him. Individually, the players are... They are what they are right now. I think we've got a really good base on a foundation of a squad. I think we've done some good business in the summer. We still failed the window because we didn't add the player that was the most important player to bring in, which was that central midfielder. But it's there. I'm just struggling, Harry, to see how it's being knitted together. I know I've been reading, trying to keep on keep an eye on the, on the comment section as well. We've been talking. And I watch your show, Harry, and obviously it, for me and you, we backed Arteta a hell of a lot last season. And whilst my kind of, not support hasn't stopped, and I never would stop supporting and wanted him to turn things around, my view on him has changed to think that a change of coach is the right idea. And obviously I watch your show and I know that you battle against comments a lot asking about, is it time for you to change? But what is it for you that's kind of stopping you from, say, going in, crossing that line to where I am and saying, I think a change of coach would be the to the benefit of the club? I think what's stopping me is 
it is first of all, the more I think about what he took on, the more I think it was a difficult, the more difficult I think that task was. So I think when you take into consideration that he's come in as an inexperienced manager, who's never done the role before, not out on his own, and had to deal with all the things that he's had to deal with, this was never going to be an overnight success story. I also think that if as a football club, you have decided that your strategy is young coach, young players, weed out the bad, the, the dead wood, rebuild, then you can't give up on it a year into his, you know, after his first full season, which was the case at the end of last season, right? It was his mm. first full season in charge. So I felt that you couldn't pull the plug then because you'd be, you'd be almost admitting that you got it wrong in the first place, that your strategy your bottom line strategy is completely wrong. So my view on it was that Arsenal weren't going to pull the trigger at the end of last season and mm. probably rightly so and should see this out. But there comes a point where that line has to be drawn and, and where you have to cut your losses and say this just simply isn't working. What I would say is that a lot of the transfer business that Arsenal did over the summer, I think, is business that the club feel still stands them in good stead whether that's with Mikel Arteta or not. Absolutely. And I think that is so, so important. I think that although Mikel Arteta has been promoted to manager, that there is still a view that he is, you know, the the, the business that they did was geared to benefit any manager that is to take Mm. over the club in the next couple of years and to benefit the club in terms of maybe being able to sell some of those players on if they improve and their value increases or if we're able to keep hold of them and compete at the highest level, then great, they're part of it. The reason I, you know, the start of this season, I said that this season he was under big pressure for me. And and then we started the campaign and there was a lot of circumstances as to why things were made more difficult. The fixture list didn't help Chelsea and Manchester City. Two teams, in my opinion, on a completely different planet to us were mm-hmm. obviously two of our opening three fixtures. We lost those games and then we won three off the back of that. And then, um, you know, we we drew at Brighton and now we've, you know, we've drawn against Crystal Palace. I I just think that if you rip it all up and start again, are we then going to be waiting another two, three years to see the the little progress that we have Mm. seen? I think there has been some. Whether that's on the pitch, though, is up for debate. I think there's been some in terms of the way the club is operating. So there's been progress in terms of getting players out that needed to get out. There's been progress in terms of refreshing the squad, bringing some young players in that I do feel will go on to bigger and better things and, and you know, really either be great for us or be great elsewhere and have good careers. But the club still benefit from that if they can sell those players on and make money, something we've hardly done in mm. the last sort of decade. So I think there is positives behind the scenes or at least in terms of the bigger picture but it's not translating onto the pitch at the moment. And now I am worried and I am concerned that Mikel Arteta is, is, is a bit of an experiment that it isn't guaranteed to work. And, and as a result of that, I feel like, you know, as, as, as we continue through this season, if we continue to see these levels of inconsistency, the, the noise is going to get louder and there will come a point where the trigger needs to be pulled. But, do I trust these guys to go and do it again? You know, to go and get the right man in again? I'm not sure. And then where are we? Does it get worse? You know, I I'm, I don't mm. know, man. I'm I'm in a really strange place at the moment where I feel like 
Arteta will one day be a good coach. I just don't think he's got the time to learn how to be a good coach here of all places. And um, and I think it, the job's come too soon for him. And, and, you know, we're in a place of worry. We're in a place of concern. But But then again, what's the solution? You know, I hear Arsenal fans out there telling me, yeah, let's go and get Max um, Antonio Conte, sorry. Yeah. He's not coming to Arsenal. Come on, let's be mm. honest. So it's it's a really difficult place to be in. And I think I'm trying to see it as we need to ride this through a little bit because the club have gone so big on it in terms of not just bringing in players that he wants, Tom, but also ripping up contracts of existing players that we had at the football club because he didn't want them. Agreeing to send William Saliba, for example, a player that the club had made a huge investment in, out on loan because that's what Mikel Arteta felt was best. If 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 the club were to go back on that strategy so soon and so quickly without giving it enough of a chance, then that tells me that they never really knew what they're doing in the first place. And that is even more worrying than having a coach that makes tactical mistakes here and there. Yeah, the thing about Arteta, I almost get a feeling like it's a club that have got, it's the club that have got a girlfriend that they're too scared to to, to dump. Exactly. <laughs> times with exactly. Arsenal. That's how it feels. It feels like they they don't want to they don't want to get rid of him because they're worried about the commitment that they've made and the time they've invested into him, um, and the signings they made. But I think that I agree with you in the sense that the signings we made, especially this summer, are designed to be for the long term and to not necessarily be for Arteta. The club, I think, even themselves admitted that we'd never have a situation like we did with Wenger, that a manager's going to be lasted for 22 odd years. Now, whether that means that they think a manager can last for 10 years, we don't know. There's no context to, to that statement. But the, the, the point about bringing in young players that are going to be here in the long term and having a technical director like Edu, who, by the way, I think gets a silly amount of stick, Edu. I really do, because you look at the work that he has done and you look at the decisions that Arteta has made, Edu gets blamed for so much of Arteta's mistakes, in my yeah. opinion. It's far, far more than, than he should be. I mean, if you look at the good work that we've done to drastically change the way our transfer market happens and how we work our transfer market, yes, I think we didn't do everything we need to do in the last summer. And I think ultimately, because we didn't get that key midfielder, we failed. But all of the work that we did do was great. Getting rid of Willian after we could have added him for another two years after that error that he and Raul Sanyehi together made that error when they were both at the, at the club with Arteta, of course, there too. Bringing in Partey and Gabriel, getting in younger players. Edu has done stuff that when you compare that in the context of a decade of transfers is just night and day compared to the previous transfer windows that we've had across the last decade. It's it's It will gradually change us and hopefully put us in a position where we can move forward. My concern is, is that the criticism towards Edu will continue because the club won't make the drastic decision that we may necessarily be needed to move on the coach that's in charge of getting the best of those players that he is bringing in. And that's what you say about kind of, we're never going to get Conte. It's that I agree with you. I think it's exceptionally unlikely that we get Conte, but I wouldn't let that be a barrier to me thinking that changing a coach is not worth it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And 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 that's absolutely right. You know, there are other good coaches out there that maybe aren't as high profile, but are still better probably than Mikel Arteta. So mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not... Um, I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, you shouldn't pull the trigger on him. Football's a ruthless sport. And if a better option comes along, then by all means do it. But the thing that kind of, that keeps me 
I'm not going to say hanging on because I am worried and I am concerned. But the thing that keeps me kind of more curious than anything else as to how this is going to develop is when you think about all the change that we've talked about and you think about mm. all the factors that we've discussed, realistically, we talked about a new team, a new backline, a new you know shape set up. And we're now in a place where we're, what, five games into that? Five games into the White, Gabriel, Tommy Asu, Tierney, Ramsdale defence, for example. Mm, yeah. Five games into uh, having strikers to play in front of Odegaard and, and, and with Saka and Smith-Rowe. And I just feel to like it's still a little bit early in the season to, to be panicking. You know, we go and beat Aston Villa, um, you know, on Friday night at home. And, and again, the outlook kind of changes a little bit doesn't it it depends how though harry for me it depends how we beat villa because i think the wins we've picked up against norwich and burnley and spurs less so spurs but definitely norwich and burnley those wins really fortuitous like the the chances we created weren't good enough the goals that we scored were quite lucky in those games so we can absolutely as you say go and beat villa on wet on friday but say if we win that game one nil or two one and the goals that we score again aren't through good play, but more through fortuitous forcing of the same kind of movement and Villa making a couple of mistakes in defence. That, that's that for me doesn't change things. Um, there was, I think there was a question earlier in the chat was talking about how I said, if we were to get 10 points in the next four games, that's kind of what we'd need to do to get in the top four. But I look at the 10 points that we got from the last four games before Crystal Palace and said, that's good. And it's good that we are unbeaten now in five, but, because I can't see uh, something that I can latch onto and I can support and get on board with and say, yes, I've now got confidence going. It's like, are you confident about a Villa? Because I'm really not confident about that game. And that's what I want to be is I want to be confident and I want to have that belief that Arteta's instilled a, a style of play and a system and a kind of an ego and an arrogance about the side that they can go into the next game knowing that they most likely will win because they're good enough. And we know that the, on paper... That Arsenal team is good enough to beat Villa on Friday. But the fact I'm not confident about going into that game, I think, says more about the coach than it does the players, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and I'm not confident going into the Villa game either. You know, I'd be stupid if I said I was because we see so many kind of fragilities with this team that it's impossible to go in with any kind of degree of confidence around that result. But what I would say is, are we... You know, we're we're talking about the start of the season, which was obviously very, very poor. Okay, three Mm. defeats in the trot. We then took 10 points from 12 and people said or people are saying now that it it wasn't a convincing 10 points from 12. And And I completely agree with that in terms of the performances. But are we expecting us to jump from A to Z? Or, or, or are we not recognising that you don't go from losing your first three games of the season to then winning convincingly your next four? There has to be some kind of, you know, slower progress than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and for me, getting the results after that poor start, despite the, the kind of doubts around the performance, was a good thing. And it was, mm. you know, something to take heart from. Then we went to Brighton. And look, I'm not even bothered about the Brighton result because I thought that it was a game that given how well Brighton were playing if we got if you had offered me a point before the game I'd have taken it honestly. yeah I, I probably would have done it as well yeah the, the issue with the Brighton game for me was again if you want to go down the line of the the, the coach is to go that 
it was obvious to me, and I'm sure it was obvious to you as well, as we watch plenty of football and we do lots of tactical stuff as well, that we knew that Brighton were tactically dominating us and we didn't do anything. The coach didn't change anything to to react to that. And that that was the issue for me. So whilst I agree that I would have taken a point, we could have maybe got more from that game if Arteta had reacted during that game. So then are we saying, and and, and we'll we'll kind of wrap it up on this because I know mm. I know we've gone over, but that's um, <laughs> no, all good. That's all good. Are we saying then that because on the one hand we're complaining about a lack of style and a lack of yeah. philosophy and mm. you know a, a lack of understanding as to what it is that Mikel Arteta is trying to implement, and I get all of that. But on the other hand, we're then looking at games and saying, well, he should be adapting us for those games. So where's the kind of line? Because I think. You can be a Marcelo Bielsa and be obsessed with a style and a system and a yeah, formation yeah. and never veer away from that or never want to veer away from that. And that has its positives, but it also has its negatives. Or we can say that and recognize that we're not as good as we think we are. We're not as good as we want to be. And we're going to have to adapt that and and change from week to week to, to contain our opponents. Because I don't think, looking at the way people react and the way people talk about Arteta as a coach, our fans are in a lot of cases mature enough to accept that we're there and we need to be mm. more adaptable. So so where's the balance? What's the what's the kind of how do you move forward? Do you say fuck it, it's not working. We have to change it every single week to make sure that we're containing our opponents or do you go nope, this is the way I'm going to play and I'm going to play like this for 10 games consistently so that we can learn it and there'll be some tough lessons along the way, but that's the way it's got to be. I feel like that is a conversation and, and that line of thinking is something that is it's probably six months to 12 months too late, if, if I'm being real. And you, st- you used the example earlier, you said, I think that, that people are kind of expecting us to go from A to Z very quickly. Now, for me, we didn't start this season at A. We probably started this season like a third of the way along the alphabet, if you want to use that as a, as a measuring stick. Um and we regressed. Like we've gone, we went backwards at the start of this season. I know we played against some very good teams, but what we were showing on the pitch in those games we went back. I mean, if you think about City and you think about Chelsea, they're two teams that we conceded, I think, three goals against in four games last season. We conceded one uh, at home to City, one away at City, and one at home to Chelsea in a 3-1 win and uh, a 1-0 away win at Chelsea and two 1-0 defeats against City. And we conceded seven in two games against them at the start of this season. So we regressed against those bigger sides in comparison to last season. Yes, there were some issues with the with the team selection and with the players being available, like we didn't have, uh, say, a Bamiang or, or Lacazette to start against Chelsea. But we did have players coming in for those games that we didn't have in in those fixtures in the previous season. So I think it's it, it cancels each other out in that sense. So we regressed there. We've then gone into these games against Norwich, Burnley, uh, Spurs, Brighton and and Crystal Palace. And I think that we are pushing towards um, going back to that third of the way through the alphabet as a measure. And that's why I'm struggling because I think that we're not going to be able to push past what we've achieved under Arteta so far. There's nothing that's saying to me and there's nothing that I'm seeing that shows me progression is happening gradually throughout his tenure. If you look at his tenure as a whole, I don't look at it as starting at A 
and gradually going upwards and getting to our end goal. I see it as starting at A, going up to E, dropping down to B again, going up to D, going down again to C, going up to E, but never getting past E. And we can't seem to get past that that key part of the, the next stage of progression under him. And I think maybe, and it's purely theory at this point, but maybe that's because that's the maximum he's capable of, of the experience of coaching that he has at this stage in his career. And maybe if he had joined us 10 years down the line in his career, he'd be able to get us past E. But he, but he can't with the, the tools that he has available in his repertoire of coaching right now. And that's the issues that I had. Yeah, and, it, and it's a great point and it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there because we've gone well over. But um, Tom, we need to do this more often, man. Uh, people Absolutely. are asking for it in the chat. We'll make sure that we uh, work it out with our calendars and get something in where we can do this a little bit more regularly. Uh, but Tom, great talking to you as always, mate. Let people know how they can keep up to date with your excellent work and the Guna Talk TV. Thanks, mate. Yeah, likewise. It's been absolutely great to join you as it always is, mate. Uh, you can find myself at the Guna Talk TV or you can find uh, my work over at football.london and the Arsenal Way YouTube channel as well. Brilliant stuff. Make sure you get over and give Tom a follow. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal content. Big thank you to Saeed Abdullah, by the way, uh, for his super chat donation. Uh, always very, very much appreciated, mate. Um, thank you to everybody else who's watching us live, to those of you who will be watching this back later or listening to it via the audio platforms. We'll be back soon. Until then, take care. Goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.